Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And I'm Coda. And we are going to have a fun time today. Um, we're excited to welcome Coda back to the show. Um, we are going to talk about today how to evaluate your software and tech tools. Um, because it's a, you know, if you if you actually get a paycheck from this kind of stuff, it's something that you, you have to deal with at some point in your career. So uh, we figured it'd be fun to, well, fun maybe not be the right word, but good to talk about it. So we'll find a way, we'll find a way to have fun anyway. Uh, we usually do. So, uh, but before we get into the meat of that, let's do week in review. Creston, how was your week? You know what's fun? <laughs> Spammers! I literally got notified uh... by email that. 15 minutes ago that's why i was so quiet in the in our pre-show prep work that oh the spammers are at it again basically uh, they're geez. pummeling my server trying to test credit cards and 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 whatnot thankfully the protections that i implemented last time uh or that or that were implemented last time are kind of keeping them at bay but still it's like please go somewhere else <laughs> You're not getting in. Go away. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I've had some other success in other areas that I can't remember right now, but <laughs> kind of not front of basically mind. Basically, helping this clients with stuff, but nothing of significance. But yeah, it's 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 now it's suddenly going to look like the rest of my day is going to be spammer day. Anybody, what what about you? So I got uh, I had actually a quite busy week. I did um, I was doing a lot of work with trying to suss out sidekick issues uh, at work with very large um, distributed sets of sidekick jobs and stuff. And it was, it's, man, those are hard to dig into if you start having problems with them. Because uh, there's a lot of, a lot of black boxy stuff happening in those jobs a lot of times. So I spent a lot of time adding more logging and stuff so I could really tell what was going on inside there. But, um, so that was a bit challenging, but I also finished up uh, like a, a a first rough draft of the uh, wave function collapse algorithm for Dragon Ruby, and uh, Wildfiler actually put together a little sample and got it working, which surprised the hell out of me. But he, you know, showed a little sample of a map being built from this thing. So uh, the algorithm is fundamentally working. So now I'm going through. I started today going through and doing profiling on it so I could try to optimize it because it's too slow. Uh, so I think I can do better. Um, and then, you know, there's other things that I want to do to it, but before I got too, too deep into it, I wanted to profile and, and optimize what I had. Um, so, you know, lots of exciting stuff going on in the, in the dragon Ruby world too. Uh, so. It, <laughs> hey, Levi, I dare not tell you that, Oh, I'm doing optimization. I was, listen, I just gotten the profiling done right before the show, and I didn't have time to post it. But I was going to give you all the profiling information and let you go nuts, my dude. Um, so so don't worry, Levi, you'll get it. Uh, so Coda, how about you? How was your week? Yeah. So on I think Saturday night, I uh, decided to, you know, work on some things, and and then I, you know, I oh, what was it? I was trying to use some sort of library or application. Ah, yes. Okay. I was trying, you know, I was trying out some other robot related library and it wanted 
a newer version of, of Ubuntu than, than I had. Um, and well, I figured instead of kind of setting up a Docker image with, you know, all the NVIDIA, uh, you know, GPU CUDA support and things like that, I would just, you know, it's about time that I upgrade anyway. So I went through that and uh, partway through the install, I think because I had upgraded some like Python library, um, the whole thing died on me. So now I have two hard disks that basically have full disk images of the three terabytes of data that I had on my computer. And then, uh, you know, and I am running a fresh install. So just like navigating, trying to like talking to like customers with, you know, we had visitors at, uh, at, at our company for, for the whole week that are pretty important customers. And, you know, so I was kind of navigating that a little bit, but you know, that went by okay. So, uh, so here I am with like a half working system right now, but. Oh no, that's always the fun thing to have happen on the weekend when you're trying to just get a little, a little thing done. Yeah. It was like, uh, I think, you know, that's always the mistake is like you go to bed and then you wake up you know, at like 2 a.m. and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just do this fun little work thing hey. for, for a uh -huh. little bit. You know, and, and that's what happens. So now I know not to do that. Yeah. 15 minutes, I'll get it out of my head, and then I can go back to bed and rest. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that that doesn't work yeah, for me either. Several hours. <laughs> yeah. Murphy had other plans. Right? Exactly. So. Oh, man. Well, I mean, the good news is, you're smiling about it. So, you know, yeah, it's, well, it's yeah, still a good thing. Can what can you do? Yep. Just keep smiling and keep trucking. Yeah, uh, so yeah. let's, let's have some fun talking about stuff before we do. I uh, just want to say hi to chat. Welcome. Uh, Levi, Sire, V. How y'all doing? Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Make sure to ask questions and give us advice on how we're And by we, I'm primarily mean me and not thinking about this correctly. So, um, you know, we like to hear from you guys. Uh, so Coda, we have had a couple of conversations offline about this this topic. Um, not deep conversations yet, because we kind of wanted to save that for the show. But uh, on the surface, talking about things like, well, you know, what does that mean to evaluate um, software and tech um, systems that and when do you decide you need to do that evaluation and how do you do that evaluation and what are the different ways you can screw it up and get it wrong? Right. Yep. So, yep. um, so what are your, th what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So actually sort of just a little bit, um, of sort of background in terms of what I do to make sure that, you know, to, to sort of look at things in terms of the scoping that I, that I view these things at. Um, so I, I have a, you know, I started a little robotics company that I'm a CTO of. I co-founded it with a couple other people. And then, uh, so as the CTO of that, and then actually recently got acquired, but uh, as a CTO of sort of this U.S. branch of this other Korean company now, um, you know, I've been basically doing a lot of evaluation on our technology stack and, you know, in terms of uh, what we want, like our customers to see, and also I think uh, like data collection and you know all sorts of different things that kind of encompass the whole, you know, stat process from you know uh, first even from uh, just managing sort of the issues that are you know documenting the the process of uh, what you know the requirements of the customers and also actually developing things to 
you know, productization and, and deployment as well. Um, so, you know, and then there's a support piece as well. So, you know, I mean, I think I've kind of gone through this process many, many times and made many mistakes through that. Um, I think the, you know, the first thing is, I think it's very tricky to get right always. And no matter how much work you put into it, you know, there are times where it just doesn't work out. Right. Um, so I think it's just a process where, uh, like you said, Chris, where, uh, you know, a lot of people go through or every engineer does, uh, some software evaluation, but you know, it, it's something that I think all of us struggle with. Yeah. Well, there's no, I mean, there aren't a lot of, you know, like if you're doing project management or product management or, you know, different things like that, there's these methodologies that have been developed and, and posted and you learn about them and there's classes for them. There's not really that for software evaluation for a business. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I mean, there are a few sort of methods, um, you know, and if you kind of look online, there are like charts, right, and tables for evaluating yeah. these things. Um, but I think the tricky thing about software um, is, first of all, you know, these aren't, you know, just abstract things that you're dealing with. Very often, the year it's very environment dependent. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's even sort of like OS or things like that, right, or what your organizational structure is that can make an impact on it. Uh, at what level are you looking at this? So for, you know, my, my decision-making on my local tools is very different from my decisions that I make for, you know, the sub teams within the company versus how does that impact things when we're looking at something that's customer facing, right? You know, so it's, you know, the stringency, uh, the stringencies and the, the requirements there are actually very different as well. So, um, and I think like, you know, all of us, you know, when we're kind of, rushing to get something out and our unit tests go away it's that same uh, yeah. same kind of thing where depending on what we're doing and how we're thinking and we're you know we're trying to kind of just get something out it can be tricky to actually make the right decisions then and go through sort of a formalized process at that point yeah and it's you know like you said it's it's very and we we kind of touched on this in the pre-show you know, asking the question about how do you do a, a software evaluation, there's like 85 different it depends answers to that question, right? right. Team and, and you know, the, the level of, of experience on your team. Like if you're evaluating something for a team of junior developers, that's going to be very different requirements than a, than a team of 25-year veteran developers, right? Because, you know, it's a whole lot different experience level. What's the project? What's um, the biggest thing I've found? Hey, Zed. Yeah, it depends on all your dependencies. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> it's a lot of dependencies of dependencies. Um, but the, the biggest thing I've found is, as I've gone through this in my career, is worrying about how this is going to fit with the team and the team members has has bought me more than worrying about how it's going to fit with the project mechanics. Um, because what I've found is if the team likes it and the team members are behind it, they'll find a way to make it work. And if it's perfect mechanically, but the team members don't like it, it's going to die on the vine. Is I mean, that's just how it is. So um, yeah. what, what have you found for that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right there. Um, the biggest example I have of that is our, uh, you know, our, uh, I guess our task, task management, project management tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of companies, we start out, I think with maybe Jira, I think that was where we started, right? And one of the issues that we had was people weren't really using it. You know, we would kind of, and it was a small team at the time. I think we were just like four or five people or something like that. But, um, you know, but it's important to actually be able to keep track of these things to make sure that things are, you know, going in the right direction and also to, you know, have something to to look back on, especially uh, to make sure that you can kind of stay motivated and, and you can, you know, there's something very satisfying about looking back at all the things that you've achieved um, and, and being able to go through that. Um, But the big issue that we had is just it was really clunky and slow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we switched over. I think we wanted to have something that gave us a little bit more flexibility in terms of how we broke down teams or something like that. Uh, and so we tried like uh, Asana and we tried, I think there was this one called like clubhouse.io maybe, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually uh, we ended up on something called uh, Linear. So it's linear.app and I don't know if you're familiar. That's um, one I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of them, but yeah. that's not one of them. So the main thing that that has is it's just very snappy. So you, you know, and it's all just keyboard shortcuts, right? So, um, you know, I'm a longtime Emacs user. We have a few other people who are like, you know, Vim diehard uh, engineers and, you know, I think, uh, but essentially for me, like I use, you know, of course it's standard keyboard, but I use the Apple keyboard because it has up to an F19. Hmm. So I can map, like the additional function keys in Emacs to all sorts of different things, right? So, um, you know, having kind of that snappy keyboard access is really kind of the biggest thing for me. Um, So while there were a couple things where we said, okay, you know, it doesn't actually handle maybe like the team or like splitting up projects in the way that exactly we had in mind, you know, it it fits the needs for, for our team in every other way. And our team just values things to be, snappy and simple right mm-hmm. um and so having that to just make sure that our uh cycle time and you know just keeping things that are not directly uh what we're working on as as low effort as possible is very important uh for our, for at least for our team and i think generally speaking that that's been something that i've noticed um so you know i think that was a you know multi-year process but uh, eventually we ended up landing on something that worked well for us and you know, I think that probably could have worked a lot better if we had just kind of sat down and really first laid out what was important to us as as engineers, what our priorities were. Um, so. Yeah, and I think, and that's one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to have this talk and kind of and kind of expose these ideas is because I've seen this over and over, and I've suffered from this over and over, which is there's not a lot of talk about how do you evaluate things. And so everybody just kind of makes it up as they go and they end up making the same mistakes over and over, you know? Um, And I think you're right. One of the things that I've learned in my career is if you're going to go switching systems of something, project management, you know, um, Git or um, code management, any of that kind of stuff, you need to sit down with the team and find out what, they want out of it first Uh, because that does two things a 
it's much easier to get the team to buy in because they had input on shaping what it is we're looking for, right? So it's their idea, not just, you know, the, the manager's idea. And B, you, you get to what fits that a lot faster than try this thing for three months, then try this thing for three months, then try, you know, so. Yeah. Well, well wait a minute. What about the whole protocol of going through the purchasing office and the whole purchase process from doing RFPs? And because that's a whole protocol and procedure that people follow. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, it exists. <laughs> it yes, you're right. It exists. There's training tra people do on it. I, yes, but there's the, the the there's a problem with that though. That I well, I've always had a problem with that through my career. Every time I've been involved with things with RFPs, it ends up being a whole lot of bureaucratic writing and not a lot of actual analysis of needs. Uh. I've never had an RFP that actually helped me figure out a good tool. Every time I've had success, quick success there, that didn't involve just a lot of trial and error, was sitting down with the people who had to use it and just talking it out, whiteboarding it. Well, I mean, so, that's what the should be in the request. One would think, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue argue that there's also there's been a disconnect between kind of it's it's when multiple factions get involved that things get muddy and yeah yeah potentially inappropriate tools get chosen like I know when I was going through the process of looking for something and I would call around getting references for different products this is when I was doing uh, more in fundraising and looking for a fundraising solution for the institution I was working for, I would ask, okay, so why did you choose this solution? And 99.9% .9 of the time, it wasn't due to features. It wasn't due to what it did. It was because, oh, well, I knew this guy who used it there, or they used this at this other institution, so that's why we chose it. So it was like, so what's the point to call these people? <laughs> They're just good. Only reason why they're choosing some is what they've used before. Yeah. And then have been on the flip side doing sales and been in situations where, okay, here's the RFP, go ahead and fill it out. Uh, or it's an RFP light or whatever. Yes, here's the requirements. Um, did everything. And then I hear back three months later, oh, they've chosen this other product. And the people who were working there that I've been working with, because they're still using my product, but not in the capacity that they were actually looking for. It was another module that my product also supported, but they were looking more widespread for it. And they're like, I don't know why they did that. So they were actually angry at the IT department, maybe purchasing. It was like, I don't know why they chose this because we're happy using this, you know, your thing or whatever. And then two years later, they switched back to my product so it was like you know i think we could you know so i'm saying there are processes and procedures that exist but then getting the right answer even though that exists it's all over the place in terms of success yeah yeah i mean it's so often just uh you know, I find so often the thing that actually fits best is whatever my first gut feeling is, right? You know, and even when when you do things, 
very often that that it just ends up being the case. Did you get a sense at all for um, why some of those users decided to switch back? What what was it that that? Well, um, I mean, it, it's it was basically the case they had chosen another product, not not mine, right. and then months later they. I mean, I don't know the details of why they yeah. didn't like that. I think they it had some clunkiness that they were dealing with, and maybe they just had a visceral reaction to like, okay, you, you're being forced to use this because this is what the process determined. And it was exactly what Chris was saying early on. You know, if your users don't like it, you're going to have a revolt on your hands at some point. Yeah. Right. right. So the actual users of the product were the ones that were not happy with the decision mm -hmm. because it was made, I guess it was mostly by IT or and or the purchasing department, you know, someone who is outside the process. Right. Oh, excuse me, outside of the user base using it on a daily basis. Right. And I, I think that's an important point that, that I, I want to kind of stress here. And because that's where every time I failed at this, that's where I failed. And that is don't make decisions without talking to the people who are going to use that product because you know all the RFPs and all the specs in the world aren't going to help you if the people using it don't like it they will go find something else or they will find ways not to use it so and Zed says build consensus before you create the request yeah i don't care which department has to create the request whether it's IT or management or whatever they better talk to the people that are going to use it or they were just wasting their time. Uh, and I think a lot of people forget that. Like, this is a prime example. You know, IT goes off and buys this other thing, and the users are like, what the hell, man? That's, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's actually interesting because, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we recently got acquired. And through that, there was a big shift in terms of, you know, our parent company has certain things that they want us to be using. Um, and so, you know, it's, and one of the big things that we really emphasized through the acquisition process was there are some pro, you know, some things that we need to make sure we can control internally in our team, because we have things that work really well for us. Right. And there are some app, some things where sure, you know, I think the, uh, switch from Slack to Microsoft teams, just in terms of being able to communicate that we, you know, I don't think there was any way of getting around that. Um, yeah. But sort of actually hearing about uh, from our the company that acquired us why they chose Microsoft Teams was also a little bit interesting because really the main motivator there was it's just a single application, right? And so you mm -hmm. don't need to have a few different subscriptions. You can do everything in one. Um, and I think everyone across the board is you know, or at least everyone who switched from Slack over to Teams, including sort of the Japan team and, and us, you know, we're pretty much all in agreement that Slack chat actually better for chatting. So for the day-to-day -day experience is actually a nicer thing. Um, but, you know, the essentially the IT group and things like that decided, hey, it's actually easier to only maintain one application. So, you know, and probably cheaper too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are always kind of competing priorities, which can make it harder, especially as organizations grow. Um, when it's just a few people, then it's pretty simple, but. Right. Well, it sounds like another situation of where the losers lost out. 
essentially. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people feel different ways versus the two products, but you know, what you're what the scenario is, the reason was chosen because it sounded like it might be easier for IT or whatever. Yeah, and, and like cheaper, which is makes it easier for budgeting and you know. So it's not to say that's not reason to do it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's just different different priorities and kind of evaluating which priorities are actually the most important is I think one of the tricky pieces too. Right. Um, you know, and that's something where essentially it just depends on what the priorities of the organization as a whole are, right? Um, so, you know, making sure that we have, in our case, making sure that we have sort of a streamlined single tool chain is, is important. And, you know, in part that's because, you know, we have a lot of different groups working in a lot of different countries and we're sort of trying to coordinate all of that and making sure that across a lot of different operating systems and things like that. So, um, you know, just making sure that everyone has a unified tool chain for that piece is actually very important for that. And so, right. you know, I, th I think that makes sense. Um, and well, I think the fact that, that, that you can articulate that, I think that's the important part, because if you can say, all right, I, I get that you guys like Slack better, but we need to go with Microsoft Teams because it, these business reasons and we really need to. As long as you can get buy-in from the team for that, I find that they're a lot more forgiving about, okay, yeah, we like Slack, we're used to Slack, but we'll switch because that makes sense to me. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I personally, yeah, I personally like the, the reasoning of, or it, it feels better to me, the reasoning, because we need a consistent communication tool for everyone as opposed to, oh, it's budgetary reasons or... Um, because IT didn't want to deal with multiple licenses or something like, you know. Or the worst I reason of all, that's just what we use. I hate that. <laughs> Have a reason. Joe chose it in 1993 and we can't change it. Yeah, uh, but there is a switching cost, right? There's always a big mm -hmm. switching cost. And the longer you use a tool, the higher that switching cost is. So especially when doing some of these software evaluations where you're actually trying out a couple of these things and, and seeing what works best, making sure that that time frame is short and making sure that any decision uh, that you make is made promptly is I think pretty important. Um, Creston, I think we, you know, you mentioned earlier that it took what, uh, did you say a few months or did you say a couple of years that they, it took for the, that set of customers to actually come back to switch back to your tool? I, I think it was a, it was a year or two or so. So, I mean, they may have had a year contract, definitely at least a year contract, if not a little bit more. But then, you know, for, I don't know exactly what transpired. I mean, I didn't ask too many questions. They're here. It's like, okay, great. Let's let's get you set up. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to say, well, I didn't dig into, oh, well, why are you, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting, though. And that kind of thing happens very, very often, right? So uh, I don't know about very, very often, but you know, it's 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 we were already had them as a customer, and they were using us for one purpose. It was just this other purpose that we also do. They had chosen another vendor, but they kind of were accustomed to using us, liked using us. So uh, I wouldn't say that happens that often, but it's it was nice that okay they've decided to go ahead and give our solution a try for this purpose. So, 
Yeah, and I think it's important to keep what I keep learning over and over and in, in my career is that the the thing you've got to keep in mind, number one in your mind when you're making these decisions, if you're if you're in the the decision maker's spot for these things, is you have got to understand the psychology of your team and ha- and and who's going to be using this stuff and you better get buy-in from them or they will turn away from it whether it's the best tool or not if they didn't get to to buy into it and it's forced on them they'll walk away from it doesn't matter how good it is <laughs> you know to a to a point i mean it's or not they like they're going to say i quit and i don't want a paycheck anymore cuz you picked this tool but they will, you know, start deep sixing and undermining and all kinds of. Yeah, I was going to say silent sabotage, you know, yeah, potentially. Um. So, uh, one of the things that I was I was kind of interested in, you know, at, at the pre-show we were talking a little bit, and one of the things I asked because I, I am kind of curious about this, I, I'm not really sure I have an answer. Is when is it? when is it relevant to do evaluations like this for stuff? Because, you know, like the example we brought up in the pre-show, if I need to calculate this thing on a spreadsheet, I just grab the nearest spreadsheet. I don't, you know, I don't need to do an evaluation for that, right? At what point do I I need to invest this time? Yeah, and, you know, that's that's a good question, right? And I think a lot of it is how much... You know, it all depends on how much time you're spending doing that thing um, and also how irritating the thing is. Or, you know, I think the large part is also how much the ecosystem has changed, right? Or the, I was uh, talking to, we have a contractor that we work with and, um, <clears throat> you know, he was talking about how in the JavaScript world, everything moves fast and you always kind of need to stay on the latest, you know, latest framework and the latest, you know, thing. But, you know, I was kind of thinking a little bit that's, you know, you're spending so much time just sort of building out the same things in a lot of different worlds. And it feels like it's a lot of wasted time that way. And I I don't know Mm -hmm. if that really makes sense, you know, and always kind of chasing the greatest, or at what point do you kind of settle for a while and say, okay, this works for now, maybe we'll evaluate it again in a few years. But being able to just kind of make that decision and sort of sit with it is something that that's important too. And sort of making that, you know, it looks like at different people at different organizations have a very different idea as to what that looks like. Right. Yeah. And a lot right. of people kind of associate that also with a fast moving organization versus a slow moving one, which isn't always necessarily true either. And not always necessarily beneficial or the best way to do it either. Sometimes moving fast is problematic. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you got to, you know, or you miss the opportunities, but sometimes if you go too fast, you blow past the opportunities and miss those too. Like, and, you know, you brought up a good example, like the, the, the JavaScript framework stuff. That's one of the reasons that I grew to just absolutely hate JavaScript. It's not because of the language, it's because the, the framework of the week kept changing and I got tired of trying to keep up with it, you know? And so it was like, well, I, I just I just don't want to do that stuff anymore. So if if that's the tool that you're going to force me to work with, I'm going to find some other work, right? Because I just I you know I just don't want to 
do that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know how JavaScript got in this position, but literally it feels like the ground is shifting from under your feet every choose your period every week, every couple of weeks, every month or whatever. It's it's really strange. And you're right, code is right in that it there's a huge cost to still stand stand up on that shifting sand. <laughs> Whereas there's other things that are more stable, like well, you know, I'm the database guy, but you know, Postgres SQL doesn't change fundamentally. I mean, that thing who's slow <laughs> as molasses. Mm-hmm. So it's like once you learn things, you you could keep using them for many a long time, or you chose choose particular tools. A lot of times they stay a long time, but that this JavaScript stuff changes like crazy. Right. Um, you know, I think one of the big things there as well. Uh, there's kind of an argument in allowing other people to make those decisions for you, right? In the sense of choosing sort of a higher level tool, where that is around for a long time that you can reliably say, you know, has been around for a while and will continue to be here for a long time, where, you know, a lot of those kind of part pieces might change a lot, but, you know, the the main thing that you interface with stays static. And that, that I think is very powerful where you can still kind of, you know, use a lot of the latest and greatest tech, but from a higher abstraction level. And so that's, often sort of the kinds of things that that I tend to look for, um, at least that have worked pretty well since I don't want to be switching from thing to thing uh, every day. Yeah. So. so we talked about a little bit, where do you start thinking about this stuff? I want to go to the other end now and, and kind of ask, and again, there's no real answer for this. There's a whole lot of it depends, but what are some of the signs that that kind of tell you, okay, I've done enough evaluation. Now it's time to make a decision, and I'm comfortable with this one. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think that's that's a good question. Uh, for us, <laughs> a lot of it is just, you know, we we have in the case of, for example, uh, tooling that that the team might use, right? Then we have people use it for a little bit and see if there's traction. We might, you know, use the free trial for a few days and essentially just see if people seem to to actually enjoy using it. And and if people do, then that's that's what we pick on. But um, usually it's kind of with a smaller subset of of a team, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then to try to kind of get as many, as much feedback from everyone as possible. Um, you know, I think the big thing is uh, also, it's so important to look at what sort of, you know, with open source projects, at least a lot of these things can kind of die overnight. And so having, you know, making sure that you're using things that are actually popular enough that even if it's not the thing that exactly fits, you know, there might be some product B, open source project B, which is a better fit, but isn't very popular, then that might not be the right thing to use um, mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, willing to spend resources on uh, maintaining it yourself. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's always another piece where you know, just kind of sitting down on, on a decision and making sure that you've kind of evaluated an option that's good enough is, you know, it's tricky, but. Yeah. Well, and I think too, that there's a, it, it's kind of important to keep in mind too, that, you know, if you're evaluating something for yourself, for your personal development use and stuff 
the switching costs of that aren't typically terribly high and the evaluation process is usually fairly short because you know exactly what you're looking for. But when you're doing it for a team, that's a whole different set of evaluation criteria because now you've got a lot more brains and, and styles of working and ways of thinking that you've got to take into consideration for these things. And every member of the team that you add increases that cost of switching that you're talking about. Um, so how much, you know, when you're looking at things, not, not for your personal use, but if you're looking at, at switching systems and evaluating systems for a team, how much reliance do you put on the team themselves to do that evaluation? I mean, I think that's, you know, that goes back to what you were saying earlier, right? It's ultimately you need the buy-in from the team and from the users there. Um, so you know, ultimately, I think the decision should be made based on what they feel like is, you know, the key users, the main people using the application should be the ones who, who actually end up making that ultimate decision. And sort of as the job of, you know, the manager or, or you know, whoever basically making the final decision, the, the main thing there is to kind of guide that, right, is to lay out uh, the different options that you know, are acceptable for the organization as a whole, uh, whether that's from a price point pers uh, perspective, or maybe it's the license or, um, you know, whatever else uh, it is. But from there, um, just, you know, once we have kind of a narrow list of things that are acceptable for some reason, then, you know, it really ultimately should be up to the team that's using it as to what, what ends up being used or what ends up being adopted. Right. So have you, hey, Magi, welcome. Uh, yes, we've got Coda here in real life. Amazing, isn't it? It's fun. I love having him here. Um, so have you experienced, I'm, I'm kind of digging into the horror stories here. Have you experienced a decision like this that you've made after an evaluation for some kind of system or tech tool that your team revolted on you and, and said, yeah, this is no. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, give me one second. I'm sure it's happened. Um, well, I mean, I think <laughs> the big one was the the Jira, right? Mm. Um, and that was early on, but but that certainly happened. Um, but I, I imagine there was something more more recent. Um, you know, there are always those tools that you you know kind of float by and they just never get used. And at that point you say, okay, well, if it doesn't get used, then it's not actually, you know, something that we need. First of all, it's not something that we really, it's not a need that we have, but also, uh, you know, clearly, clearly they uh, don't like it, but right. um, yeah. But I do think like the really key thing there is uh, when, you know, this kind of goes into sort of hiring, um, but really, you know, the, First of all, the reason we hire experts in various things. So, you know, it's a, I work for a robotics company. So we have people who are like, you know, sensing experts or algorithms experts or things like that. And really the key thing there is that we're hiring them, not, you know, because we want them to just kind of do what we tell them, but because they have the insights that can help make the product and the company and the, you know, everything better, right? Mm -hmm. So that they can solve the problems that you know, might be just in the one area that they have, but also usually they have insights into a much wider range of things. And picking that brain is 
is so critical. Um, and then I think the other bit is, you know, very often when we're actually evaluating talent, we look at, you know, there's two people who, one who's very, very technically savvy and one who might not be quite as good from a technical perspective, but seems to be a better fit culturally, right? And mm -hmm. so making sure that we have, you know, you know, diverse perspectives are very important as well, but within that, making sure that you have people who are easy to work with and easy to reason with can really help prevent that kind of issue with, uh, with really people kind of revolting from a technology stack or from software tools or whatever else it is that you're using. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. I think you bring up a good point there is that there's a lot of what's involved in this, these evaluation processes. Uh, and I see a lot of people take this for just, you know, kind of a mechanical evaluation. But a lot of what needs to be involved in this evaluation is the corporate culture, the the things that the the you know that you bring in from these people, and the fact that you hire these people based on how well they fit your culture uh, and how they contribute to the culture is is a big part of telling that. Uh, you know, that's that's an important part of things you need to look at. Almost everything in the every decision in the business needs to do some looking at corporate culture, but especially for the tools that the people are going to use. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, you know, it's always kind of interesting because, you know, we've had, you know, we and we always, of course, have employees who are very, very excited by the tooling, right? And we have other people who just say, hey, I don't really care what we use. I just want to make sure I want to build this cool thing. Um, so there's right. kind of this big trade-off as well there, um, which is and kind of navigating that and saying, hey, I know you're excited about this piece of tech, but maybe we should wait off on this until we can, uh, you know, until it's really something that we need um, is yeah. an important part of that. Yeah, and I I know I've been I've been kind of guilty of that in my career too. I see this this hot whiz bang tool, and I I look into it, and I get all excited about it, and I take it, and I say, "We got to use this, we got to use this." And then they're like, "Why? What what problem are you solving?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, well, it looks cool, so you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> and I, I you know that's another good point is what problem are you solving?" if you spend all this time evaluating something and you're not actually solving a problem, what, you know, why, why'd you go there? So one thing that we do, um, you know, and I know a lot of teams do this and I'm sure, you know, the places that you've worked at or place that you currently work at do uh, similar things, but having sort of that regular retrospective. Um, mm -hmm. So at a kind of monthly cadence, we go back and, and look at everything that we've been doing and, really the main thing that we look at are sort of the blockers um, kind of in terms of how we structure, our, how we do our work. Um, and so that's really kind of where sort of the initial needs and requirements uh, come out, right? So mm -hmm. we do these retrospectives and then, and maybe there's an issue that we talk about in one retrospective, we have some action plan for it, but it doesn't really seem to get resolved. And after that's happened a few times, then we say, okay, maybe this is an actual problem that we need to kind of dive into a little bit more deeply. And that's really kind of when a lot of these tool questions come into play. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the it's kind of important to look at it not from the, oh, there's this cool new thing, which sometimes that is a little bit valid, right? You know, if it really yeah. is something that you're lacking, then it can be very valid um, and important. But a lot of the times the most critical things, um, since you only have a finite amount of time, you know, you don't want to be evaluating everything under the sun. So those things really kind of come out of those patterns that that you see. And a lot of that come, kind of comes from the, those kinds of reflections as well. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because I've worked at jobs that didn't do those kind of retrospectives. And it was that kind of thinking of, let's find a problem to solve or let's let's create a solution for a problem we don't have. Right. Because we're not actually keeping track of what problems we have. And then I've worked at ones that do have retrospectives. And that's much more efficient uh, because you don't. where am I losing time? Let's fix that because that's the one thing I can't make any more of. Right? I can make more money. I can make more widgets. I can't make more time. So let's find ways to to improve that loss. Um, I wish I could always make more money, but... uh. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, not saying it's easy. Chris has solved economics. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Just, you know... There you go. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think, I think that's a good point too, is you got to figure out what it is you want to start evaluating because you can't evaluate everything. You can't solve every problem. And I think a good way to figure out what do we look at is have the team say, this is where we have problems. Because as soon as you do that, the team's already bought into, yes, let's find a solution here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I think the other place that the tools, you know, evaluation kind of comes from is one-on-ones, right? So we, you know, we have a lot of, you know, the one-on-one meetings and I try to have those with, you know, with, with everyone in the organization with some cadence and some, some length, but um, you know, that's so important, right? Because, you know, understanding the individual needs and, you know, always I try to make sure to ask, hey, what problems are you having that, you know, what are your blockers right now? What's preventing you from working more efficiently or, you know, happier or, you know, just um, in terms of kind of that, uh, making sure that people are feeling like they're being very productive um, and making sure that they don't have those roadblocks um, is so important. So, you know, usually it starts either from there or the retrospectives or the mm-hmm. contents of the retrospectives comes from the one-on-ones to some degree. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I think, like you say, it's always kind of the people that are involved that's important and really also kind of evaluating the needs of the people before, you know, before we even talk about, oh, we need a tool the the idea that we need a tool has to come from the team and from the people right. who are are actually doing that work. Right. And as well as what should this tool look like needs to come from them too. Um so I I also have found that actually getting them the team to evaluate the tools and don't leave that up to some person in the office doing the evaluation, let them evaluate it. Cuz you know then they make the decision. Yeah, I want it. And once they make that decision, they'll use it. Um, 
think so, there's also scenarios, of course, where sometimes a tool is important for the business that may run counter to some of pe people's jobs. Like if you're used to doing a manual process and you come in every day and you do, this is what you do. You go in and you do X and Y and Z, but then there's a, say there's a disruptive tool on the market that eliminates having to do X, Y, and Z manually. And now you click a button and it does X, Y, and Z. Well, now suddenly this, you know, so asking this person who does it manually to say, hey, do you need a tool? No, I just, I come in and I do this. So I think there's also some little bit of a counterpoint in there that sometimes the arrival of new technology or presence of it can make the business more efficient. That may override um, some people if it means it impacts significant parts of their job. But right. yeah. And we're, you know, at a point right now where that's, especially true, right? Where, you know, we're seeing like chat GPT and things and, yep. and that's already starting to, you know, uh, take away some of the, like, you know, especially I think some of the uh, service related or sort of customer facing, you know, the chat, the chat window that you have on a lot of websites, that kind of thing, you know, and I think a lot of the, uh, you know, hasn't happened yet, but more, I think the junior level engineering jobs will also kind of start to fade out a little bit, maybe based on that as well. I, I'm sorry, um, could you repeat that, that? Could you repeat that last yep. phrase you just said about the junior engineer, because you, you dipped at least in, in my oh. listening. Okay. Yeah. I apologize about that. Um, so I think also, uh, you know, we're not quite there yet, but some of the junior level engineering roles, um, you know, some of that I think is is coming pretty soon where, you know, we don't necessarily need someone to just sort of fill out, you know, some of the, the part pieces and really, you know, I think pretty soon it's going to be the case where when you hire on a junior, it's really because you expect them to get to that senior engineering uh, position rather than just having someone, you know, I think a lot of those kinds of jobs will start to, to fade away a little bit, but. Yeah. And by engineering, are you talking about software engineering or a different type of engineering? Software engineering yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Kristen, I think you, you bring up a good point is that the wants of the team have to be tempered by the needs of the business. Um, so there has to be a bit of push pull there because if the team just goes haywire and drives the business into the ground with their wants, then you don't get a paycheck because there's no business. So, I mean, there has to be, you know, a, a bit of synergy there. Um, but I, I haven't run into that problem because usually you can tell the team, okay, this is a great idea. I love it, but this is, it's problematic because da, da, da. And they'll say, okay, well, let's find a different solution then. Um, but where I've seen all the problems is from the other side where, you know, management says, I'm making this decision without, you know, asking the team about it. And the team yeah, says, unilateral stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, this decision sucks. I'm not going to do it. Right. That's where I usually see the problems. Um, but but you're right. You, I mean, businesses are there to be businesses, not to just make everybody feel good. So, you know, you have to kind of temper those those decisions a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think, though, the uh, case where it can just flat out replace 
certain rules where you know you can replace the whole rule with technology that also you know i think my business at least is we're so focused on kind of the r d kinds of work um and in a way where we haven't really run into that yet um but you know, that that of course i think requires a much more uh you know careful evaluation of those yeah. tools because especially if you know even from uh you know just business perspective let's say you adopt a new tool and you fire all employees that you know that it replaces but then you find it doesn't work quite the way you expect it to then um you know you you've just laid off your staff that would be doing that for you solving those problems and so i think uh, that's always tricky but even while you're evaluating it of course those employees know that's what you're doing so yeah it's it's tricky I think. It, it does get tricky and, and and i think too that you know like you pointed out the you know this chat gpt the ai and stuff that that may start replacing some jobs i will say that you know back in the in the 70s and 80s people said the exact same thing about robotics. And what ended up happening is, yes, robotics replaced a lot of assembly line jobs and things, but it also created different jobs. For instance, yours. Um, you know, so I think even when new technologies come around and you do those evaluations, you look for ways to shift that knowledge and shift those people to different places than replacing them uh so much if you're smart right yeah i mean just you know there have been a lot of cases these days where you look at you know and even in sort of pretty mainstream news where there are articles about people basically being replaced by chat gpt because and i think that's one of those cases where we probably aren't quite there yet right where the technology yeah. probably isn't quite there yet but because there's so much hype, people are kind of making these rash, rash decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would not trust ChatGPT to write code for me. It's I've seen some of the code and it's nice to get ideas from, but oh my God, it's so full of security holes. <laughs> it's no, no thanks. I'd rather have a person thinking through that. Um, you know, tools to help, great, but I don't want the final final arbiter of good code to be chat GPT because you know, it's learning from good code and from bad code. It doesn't know the difference. Pretty soon. It's just going to be learning to, uh, from itself. Right. Because yeah. there's going to be so much code out there. That's just from it. So, yeah. So, Hey, Poto, just, welcome to the show. The answer that exists in stack overflow and then everything will be fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, well, this is, sorry, we're a bit on the tangent here, but what I found was interesting. I mean, what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about jobs being supplanted is looking at like what's happening at, say, restaurants, maybe the more fast food variety, as well as um, grocery stores where they're introducing kiosks to place an order, or you can still go to the person. So it's kind of, they're introducing the technology but still keeping, of course, people around. But, you know, at some point it's going to flip. <laughs> yep. But, you know, it, you kind of have both. So now when you go to a grocery store, you could choose self-checkout or you could 
have someone still check you out. But, you know, so it, they're kind of introducing the new way, the new tools, as well as keeping the old. But at some point, you know, the transition will continue. So that's a way not to do it as a scorched earth policy, but maybe give more people time to transition to different roles and whatnot. But yeah. And using that example, I mean, you know, the introduction of that new technology also created new jobs because now you have the job of a, the attendant that helps people with their self-checkout issues that didn't exist before that technology. So, you know, that's a, that's a good example of, okay, well, let's, let's shift this human value to a different place. Still valuable, just... You know. And then you've got the additional security officers or whatnot as well <laughs> to, yeah. to monitor things. So uh, we are running up on, we are right up on time. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this conversation, Coda. Thank you so much for, for coming and, and being with us. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to finding another topic to get you back on here uh, to talk some more. Cause I really enjoy talking to you. So, um, chat, thank you for being here as always. Uh, thank you for participating. Um, love to see you folks here. Um, and I hope you had a good time. If you did, uh, and you want to help the channel, the best thing you can do is like, subscribe, comment, follow if you're on Twitch. And even more than that, tell your friends, uh, and bring them to, uh, we, we love to talk about all kinds of things in the dev world and the business world. So, Anybody with any kind of dev or business interest might find something they like here. So make sure you tell your friends to, to come and join us. Um, we have next Thursday on the show, we've got Podo coming to talk to us uh, about... Um, uh, uh, my brain just went blank. What, what did I title that thing, Creston? You look it up. I don't have it up. Um, anyway, uh, he, he, world simulation. Yeah, there we go. I'm there. It's late. Uh, Your brain but anyway, is faster than my fingers. Yeah. So um, looking forward to that. That's a that's an interesting um, thing. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation and and meeting Poto. I haven't gotten a chance to meet him yet. So uh, that's fun. Uh, Game of Life and Birds. Yeah, could be. <laughs> yep. Next show is you, man. Uh, and then the week after that. We don't have a lineup yet, but I'm working on some things. So uh, we will we will let you know. Make sure you you keep tuned in either to Twitter at Ducky Dev Show or to our um, Discord or to the DR Discord because I announce all the stuff on there. And quite frankly, I do more stuff on the DR Discord than my own. So uh, probably there is better. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we will see you next time. Uh, Creston, are you here tomorrow doing uh, live coding? Yes, yes. Okay, so tomorrow at 4, coding with Creston. Um, we get to, you know, go point fingers and laugh tomorrow, and then you oh, get yeah. to do that to me on Tuesday, uh, and we will just keep going from there. So uh, we will see you next time, and until then, happy coding. Happy coding. Bye. Happy coding. Yep, bye.